Matthew uh, chapter 10, a little over a third of the way through the book, um, picking up directly, um, like in the, in the middle of, uh, where Chad left off last week. And you'll see that as, as I read this. Um, verse 26, Matthew chapter 10, which says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is an, kind of gnarly. I mean, and, and I don't think there's like one gnarly thing in here. There's several. Uh, you could, this could easily be like five sermons, but it's not going to be. It's going it's to be one. So just bear with me, all right? We'll try to, to do this as best as we can. Uh, but some, some heavy stuff. Uh, the first thing that we must know is that the statement that we're coming into today is the direct conclusion of what we heard last week, if you notice that. Um, so our Bibles, um, they're really nice this day and age because uh, they, they break apart sections. They break apart subjects. They break apart paragraphs and they put these nice little headings over the top of them for easy reference so that you and I can look and, and we can get around so these, these, these little helpful breaks. Uh, this is one of those places where it's not helpful, where the break is not helpful because there is no break here <laughs> from, what, from what it is that we saw him uh, talking about last week. We're going to actually get um, the, the, the direct conclusion of that which he was previously talking about, about sending them as sheaves, sheep out among wolves. That's what we're going to see today. Um, and so what, what he's going to do is he's going to conclude um, that topic of them going out as sheep among wolves by addressing the fear factor involved. That's what we're going to see today. We're going to talk about the fear factor that has got, like if you have a pulse and you just heard like what Jesus said is going to happen, right? Like, like there, there's some like fear that's, that's going to that's gonna be induced, right? And so what, what we're going to see today is he's going to address uh, three do not fears and then one do fear, okay? We're going to get three do nots and we're going to get one do. Um, and, and again, this is, this is the conclusion. Um, I mean, basically, if I'm to give this away right now, if I'm just to give you the heart of what we're saying today, I'll just give it away up front. Okay, um, the conclusion from Jesus today is not really a matter of if we fear or not, but who we fear the most. That's really what this is all about today. Not whether we're people as disciples, as followers of Christ who, who fear or not, but it's a matter of who we fear the most. That's what we're going to hear about. This all begins in verse 26, which says, Have, have no fear of them, so... So, as a result of everything I just said, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So, so what we have here 
um, is, is reason number one uh, why not to fear. Um, and and we, we need to, again, we, we need to know this. We need to have this information. We need to know why not to fear because he just said that, hey, you're going to go out and they're going to deliver you to courts. They're going to flog you in their synagogues. They're going to drag you before kings. Like your family's going to hate you. Your family's even going to kill you. Like, like, like it's like the worst possible like earthly scenarios, relational scenarios, life scenarios that you can think of. Right? And so we need to hear why, why we shouldn't fear. And, and reason number one is right here in 26. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Well, what, what the heck does that mean? Like, how, how, does, how does that help me to, to not fear? It means that they will not get away with it. It means that they will not get away with it. Whatever it is they do. They ain't going to get away with it. Like, like, whatever they do to you, they won't be getting away with it. I, I believe that one of the things that can paralyze you and I with fear in interactions resulting in, like, injustice or mistreatment is the, is the thought that it will have the final say, is, is the thought that it will prevail, that injustice uh, will win. And what Jesus is saying here is it will not. It will not win. The very reality in our Bibles of judgment and wrath and accounts being settled by God assures us of this, right? Like we have books that are going to be opened one day for everybody. There's, there's ledgers that are going to be dealt with, right? God's going to do all this. I, I, I know that in eternal wrath of God, um, a harsh judgment of God upon the ungodly seems harsh. Like, it, it can seem harsh, but we all know that no justice, no justice for wickedness is harsher. Like, that, that, like that's even worse. We just had a family um, in Lapine that's, they're a dear family that's part of our Lapine congregation. They're, they're a huge part of it. Um, this poor lady just had her daughter murdered by her boyfriend. She just had to fly back last week to Florida to testify against this guy. And she lost her daughter. And as a church, we've been praying, building up to this, this court, this trial, that justice will happen. Like the, the thought that this dude might walk, the thought that this guy might, might have been able to, to do what he did and take a life and then go away and live his life as if nothing ever happened is, is a horrible thought. Like the thought of injustice is absolutely horrible to us. And Jesus is, assure, Jesus is assuring these guys that no matter what happens to them, no matter what men do to them, how they're treated, how it ends, no one is going to be getting away with nothing. With nothing. It will be accounted for, it will be dealt with, it will be paid up, it will be exacted. Um, wh whether that was done on Christ for us or apart from Christ on us, justice will be served. Will be served. These people will not only have to deal with the supreme judge on that day for what they've, did, they've done, right? But they're also going to have to be dealing with the dad of the mistreated. Right? I don't know about you, but I've been a dad of four kids, and uh, I kind of love them a little bit, uh, like more than others. I, like I find them extremely valuable to me because they're mine. 
And so any time, like in the past when they were growing up or something, and I saw some kind of threat or some kind of opposition come against my kids, like this, this thing happened in me. And it, and it wasn't always godly. God, God's will always be godly. <laughs> Mine wasn't. But, but it's, nat- it's natural because these things are so, va- they're, the, they're the utmost value and worth to you. And so you care immensely. God the Father cares immensely for his church. He cares immensely for you guys. We're going to come back to this again. Um, but we're kind, of, we're kind of protective of our kids, and I have a feeling that, that God's uh, better at being protective of his. Right? So the first do not fear statement is due to the assurance by Jesus that every opposing act that goes down against his church, his people, his kids, will be exacted. They will be paid for. And because this is true, Jesus wants to make sure uh, that, that his followers make known this truth to their persecutors right up front. This is uh, verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whisper, proclaim from the rooftops, right? What this means is say everything you need to say because no one's going to get away with anything. Whatever their response is to you, whatever their reaction is to you, no one's going to get away with it. So make sure that you say everything you need to say, right? Like, like, be faithful with that. Proclaim everything that I've given you to proclaim. Do not soften, do not soften the message or hold back on what you say. Be honest and be bold. This is the idea here in 27. Um, this doesn't mean that we get to be jerks for Jesus. I, I know that, like, that disappoints some of us because some of us are, like, super gifted at that. Um, and, and, and like, this is not giving us permission to go out and, like, push people on the shoulder. You know what I mean? That, that's not what this is. It doesn't mean that we get to be arrogant. It doesn't mean that we get to be prideful as Christ followers or insulting or self-righteous. It does not, it does not mean that we can be intentional in offending people because we enjoy it. That's not what it means. It means be bold and be courageous in speaking the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, out of love and concern. That's the attitude. That's the disposition that the Christ follower is to have. So it's, it's not revenge that we do what we do or we offend. Okay? Um, when you do this, some people might hate you. But some people might get saved. This is kind of the deal. This is what we're talking about. Out of that boldness, out of that plain language, is how... People hear the words of life and come to a knowledge of the living God. That's how it works. Um, if you just look at the book of Acts and reflect um, post-Pentecost, once these dudes uh, had a little something, like they needed, they needed the uh, proper software downloaded so that they could go out and be bold, right? Like, do you remember pre-Pentecost Peter and post-Pentecost? Like, it's a little bit of a difference there. This guy was completely, the difference was the Holy Spirit being downloaded to the hard drive, right? So now he can go forward with the words of the Spirit, with the truth of the Spirit, and, and boldness, because God's in him and on his side. And, and we, we see this um, um, pattern in all of the sermons in the book of Acts of this boldness uh, resulting in this bifurcated response, right? 
Um, so like Acts 3, and let me, let me read this real quick. Check this out. So they just heal a guy, right? In Acts chapter 3, they heal a lame guy, and like people are, like it's out in public, and everyone like notices this. So um, Peter looks around, and he's like, whoa, we have everybody's attention right now. Like, what a great moment to preach a sermon. And so he, he like busts out with a, with a sermon. And he says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, meaning the healing that just went down, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this guy walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, here we go, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and the righteous one. Um, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. Like this dude, he's just, un- he's just unloading the clip. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's not holding back. He's not going, like, wait a minute. Like, if I say this, like, I wonder what they're going to do. Like, he's not, he's not concerned with that. He's, he's doing this. He, he knows that that which wins people and gets you in trouble, both at the same time, is speaking plain. It's speaking plain, clear, bold truth. And this is what Jesus is telling them in Matthew 10. Like, anything that you've heard me say in secret, some of the stuff I know it's hard. I know it's crazy. Do not hide it. Let them know. And, and so we see in areas like this, Peter doing this. This is, this is a pattern in their public sermons. Now let me read to you the response, right? Which says this. Why did I turn out of it? As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Not in a good way. This is not good. This is bad. They weren't like giving them high fives. Um, It was different. Uh, It says, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of men came to like 5,000. This is heavy. This is what the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth spoken clearly and boldly does. It, 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 it demands a bifurcated response. Some people will hate you, but some people will meet the eternal God. Some people will meet the eternal God. Um, every single week in this room and any church where the true gospel is being proclaimed on a Sunday, 100% of the people filling these chairs will respond to the gospel. You will either receive it or you will reject it. 100% of you people today will hear the gospel and either receive it or reject it. You will maybe even hate it more after hearing it, or you will fall upon it as your only hope and know it, one or the other. That's what it does when it's clearly taught. Every true gospel sermon ever preached results into possible responses, reception or rejection. Uh, it, It is a call to life. The gospel is a call to life from condemnation or a solidification of condemnation. It's one or the other. Look, look, nobody, nobody wants to be told that they're condemned. 
right? I mean, like, like nobody wants to be told they're guilty. Nobody wants to be told they're a bad person. Nobody wants to be told they're a sinner. No one wants to be told they're hellbound or an enemy of God. I certainly don't want to be the guy to tell them. I know that people don't, don't like this, but Jesus is saying here, do not be afraid to tell them. Do not be afraid to tell them it's okay. Let them be warned. Again, guys, you hear this here all the time. Good news isn't good news unless there's bad news. That's just, that's just the way it is. The bad news is that we are all, apart from Christ, guilty. Thus, we are on the wrong side of God. We're on the wrong side of God. The good news is that through Jesus, we can be found on the right side of God. That's the good news, right? That, like, that there is a way. There is a way. And it's in Christ. Which brings us to the second do not fear statement, verse 28. And uh, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Let's just, we've got to stop there. Um, this, 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 this one verse really probably should have been a sermon, but we're going to do the best we can. Uh, let's deal with the first part of this verse. Um, and this is the second reason Jesus gives why to not fear, okay, those who come against him. And, and, and that reason is because they can only do so much. They can only take so much. There's only so far that they can go, right? Like there's, there's only so much they can take, and this is where we're like, yeah, but that's my life, man. Like that's kind of a big deal, you know? Like, like, they may leave my wife a widow or my child an orphan, right? Like, they may leave a financial burden on somebody, a great deal of pain and loss and tears and, and suffering. Like, it's our life we're talking about. No, it's not. No, it is not. It is not our life that we're talking about here. It's your earthly body. Not your life. Two different things. Right? Like, like this is where most of us, a lot of us Christians, fail to believe, really, that which the Bible really clearly proclaims. Like it forces us, because it's so clear, with the eternal reality of our life, of our soul going on, we're, we're like forced to believe this. It demands a belief that we are eternal beings, that there is a bigger, a bigger thing going on here than what you and I are in right now presently. There's a bigger thing going on. Our life in our bodies now only remains a bigger thing if there's really nothing after we leave the body. That's the only time this becomes a really big deal. Okay? Like, like it, it's only a bigger thing if... This is really as good as it gets. Like this life right here, right now, if this is as good as it gets, then it's, it's nothing but bad if, it, it, if, if there's nothing after. It, it, it's a bigger thing to, 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 to uh, lose our bodies now if there's no promise of something more permanent that follows, if there's no redemption for the child of God, if there's no reality of life being in the soul rather than the body. If none of these things are true, then yes, them taking our life is a big deal. But Jesus is saying it's not true. That's not where it's at. There's much, much more. What Jesus is saying is that this, this thing is a tent. I, I, I hope we understand this. This thing is a tent. 
It is not my life. And this tent has an expiration date. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a shelf life on this thing. And it doesn't matter if God takes it or an enemy takes it or I do something stupid and I take it. Like this thing has a shelf life. It's inevitable. There's, there's nothing that you and I can do about it. It's just a tent. And when this tent goes away and breaks down or someone burns it down, I'm, I'm going to be standing in line for a new one. One that's outfitted for eternity. One that does not have an expiration date or a shelf life. I'm going to be standing in line for an RV. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like from what the Bible tells me about like what it is that you and I have coming, like bodily, it's going to be, it's going to be an upgrade. Okay, let's just put it that way. It's going to be enough. This thing is a tent. If you go to a graveyard today, no one's there. No one's there. There's just a bunch of burned out, burnt up tents in the ground. No one's there. And that's, that's, the, most, that's the biggest thing they can do. That's the, that's the most that they can take from you and I. That's what Jesus is saying. Like, what, what is that? I have something... Like, I've already, I have something so much, like, they don't even compare what I have, like, in store for you to be outfitted in and what you have now. Like, don't, don't even worry about it. Like, that's all they can do. That's all they can take. Like, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Like, Christianity, our faith, like, stands. We call it faith for a reason. It means that we're convinced of something that we have not yet experienced or seen. We're convinced. As if we already have. I am convinced that we go on and that God is real and that judgment and accounts are real and that Christ is real and his redemptive power is real and because it's real that those who believe in him will not receive wrath from God but glory. And part of that is bodily. Right? Like, like all of it, all of it really stands or falls on an eternal reality that you and I have yet to experience. Like without faith, it's impossible to please God. This whole thing is built on faith. Right? And we're, um, the, the good news is that Jesus is reminding us, like, assuredly. Like, like look at how he says this. It's not like, I'm pretty sure, you know what I mean? Like, like this, is, this is like emphatic language. This is all they can do, I promise you. Text, David. <laughs> One day, you and I are going to vacate this tent. The question is, then what? Like, this is the million-dollar question for anybody. Then what? Right? Um, where will we be? How will I be? Who will I be with? Right? The worst thing that these guys can do is burn down their tent, but not their life. Not their life. If they take the tent, it just means that we're in line for uh, a new one. This brings us past the second don't fear statement to the fear statement. Okay? So now we're, gonna, we're coming to the fear statement. This is the rest of verse 28, uh, which says, uh, actually, let's just read the whole thing. Uh, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a good refrigerator verse, isn't it? Uh, something you want to wake up and look at every day. Uh, so, so like, here's, here's that word that we don't like. It's the H word. 
I don't even like to say it, uh, but it is hell, right? It's found here. Um, and the first thing that I want us all to know, the first, I'm, I would love to talk about these things, okay? So if you have a question this week or uh, whatever, just call me. Let's go get coffee or something, all right? I want us all to know that when Jesus uses the word hell, what he's doing is he's going on the record of saying that he believes it's real and true. He believes it's real and true. He's going on record of saying that. This is something that we all must come to terms with, right? Like no matter how it bad it sounds to us, we must come to terms with this. No matter how unimaginable of a concept hell is, of a reality it would be. Like I, I don't know how many times I've met people who profess to be Christians and love Jesus and go to church and read their Bibles, but they deny the doctrine of hell because they don't like it. This is real. Erasing hell in the church is real, unfortunately, right? Which, which tells me that these people aren't in love with the Jesus of the Bible. They're in love with the idea of love. Let me put this as simply and plainly as I possibly can, just so that we're all on the same page with this, okay? So that you know where we're at. If hell is not real, Jesus does not matter. That may sound wrong. Go think about it. I don't care. Like I said, get, call me. Let's go get coffee. If hell is not real, Jesus does not matter. The incarnation doesn't matter. The sinless life of Christ doesn't matter. The cross doesn't matter. The resurrection doesn't matter. The ascension, which takes Jesus before the Father to do what? Intercede for us. Why? Doesn't matter. Like, like, like not, none of it matter. His, his, his love doesn't matter. None of it matters if hell isn't real. There is no crisis. There is no dilemma. There is no enmity. There is no consequence for sin and for the fall. There is no war. None of what God has done redemptively towards us makes a difference if hell is not real. Christianity, then, is just as empty and pointless and worthless as any other religion that man has ever constructed. But Jesus believes in hell. He believes it's real. Again, I don't, I don't like the thought. I don't like the thought of this guy. I don't like talking about this. But it matters. It matters. I don't like the conception of hell being real, not one bit. And I am not a smart man. You all know this. But I came to the conclusion a long time ago by the grace of God that whether I like something or not, or I get down with something or not, or I agree with it or not, or I conceive of it or not, or understand it or not, if the Bible says it's true, it's just true. It's just true. Right? And not only is it true, it's right. Even if it seems wrong, it's right. Because God is right all the time. The scriptures are here. Our Bibles are here to inform us, not the other way around. When we read our Bible, we do not come to inform God. I, I try to. You know what I mean? Like there's times that that's how I read my Bible. You know what I mean? Um, but when it says something, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't sit there with him and be like, I see, I see what you're saying there, but like consider this. Like I, I, 
You know what I mean? Like, I have a pretty good argument, too. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't work that way. Like, if I, like the Bible scrutinizes us. It's not there for us to scrutinize it. It's always true. It's always right. If there's ever a discrepancy or a disagreement between me and God, I know who's wrong. It's not him. It's me. It means that there's some transforming that needs to continue to happen and some washing that needs to continue to happen and some pain that continues to need to happen, like all those like growing pains, learning. You and I are in process as believers of having our, our minds and hearts transformed from a bunk worldview to a true one. And sometimes it's a challenge. For us to deny the doctrine of hell is to call Jesus a liar and a fraud because of what he says right here. And I'm not willing to do that. The second thing Jesus is going on record as believing here with this statement is real and true and right is that God the Father is the gatekeeper of it. He's the gatekeeper. Of, like, he's the authority over hell. He's the director of He's the warden if you will. He calls the shots. He owns it. It's his. Having said that, if you and I truly believe this statement, this is a strong statement. How much would this change the way that we live right now? Like if we truly believe like God has the power, like fear him who has the power to remove, destroy both. How much would that change the way that we live now? Like what we do now, how we do it now, who we do it for now, right? Like if we really truly believe the things about God that we read about in our Bibles and say that we believe, how much would it change our lives and how we live today, right now? Like the things you do in secret, the things that you struggle with, the way that you talk to your wife when nobody else is around, the way you talk about others when they're not around. Like, like this is the kind of stuff that takes me to task when I look at when I look at stuff because I, I am imperfect in all these things. And all of it can fundamentally come back to a reality that I don't fully believe what I say I do. If I did, it would change a lot of things. And sometimes I do, don't get me wrong, sometimes I believe these things. If you catch me in a good moment on a good day, you know what I mean? Then my faith is strong and just rocking, you know? But if I'm to be honest, like it's weak a lot, you know? It's not always there. I'm not, I'm not always thinking with this, this heightened sense of, of reality, right? Like, how, how much does this change if this is true? There's, there's a question that was once posed by a guy named Del Tackett. I cannot, I cannot shake this question. I love this question. It kind of, like, ruined me. It just, like, it stuck with me um, ever since. And that question is this. Do you believe that what you believe is really real? Do you believe that what you believe is really real? That sounds kind of stupid. It's not, if you think about it. Do you believe that what you believe is really real? Right? The reason I bring that up is because it's really easy for us to soften on holiness, soften on obedience, soften on compassion, soften on evangelism, soften on serving and sharing the truths of God with others because when we don't do these things like we should, nothing happens. You know what I'm saying? Like, like when, when, when I disobey God and I don't do something I should do, 
lightning bolt doesn't hit me. Like I'm, a, like I'm okay. Like he, like he didn't kill me. You know what I'm saying? Like he didn't, he didn't show up at my house and like sit me down in the living room, you know, and be like, we're, we're, you and I are going to have a talk right now. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, like he doesn't take me to the woodshed, you know, like, like my dad did. Like immediately when I would do something just dumb, you know what I mean? Like, here we go. You know what I mean? Like, like judgment was like, like, like he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. Like, like nothing happens when I'm disobedient. Like everything's fine. As if almost it doesn't matter what I do, right? As if he doesn't care. Or as if it's maybe like hidden or of no concern to him. Like, oh, no, he's paying attention to other people right now. He must have missed that. <laughs> Just if you know, like the, like the attribute, the character of God doesn't allow for that. Like he sees everything all the time. So let that scare you. Um, he's, he's always there seeing all of it, right? Um, but, 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 but because of this, because nothing happens when I don't obey or live out that which I should live out, my point of concern continually shifts from pleasing God back to pleasing me again. Because I can do it. I can, I can get away with that, and I know how to do that one really well, right? So, so what happens is it shifts when nothing happens from uh, back to pleasing myself and, and others. And others, which is really what we're talking about here. Because God's judgment isn't immediate. But what if the Bible is true? What, what if his judgment is imminent? Like we've already talked about. It is going to happen. No one's going to get away with anything. What if he sees it all and he watches it all and he's present for it all, but does not immediately respond in judgment because he's patient and he's long-suffering, like our Bible say he is, right? Like, like what if he really does care and is fully aware of our passivity and our, nominal, our nominalism and our disobedience in that which he's given us to do, but he stays his hand in the moment because his mercies abound. And they're new towards us every day for those who are in Christ. You know? Like, like what, what, if, what if we do hear about all of it one day, like we talked about, the books are going to be open? What if we do feel every bit of it one day? Um, this is just like an expositional opinion. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul tells us that our works on that day are going to go through fire. Believers. Right? The Bible also tells us that he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. I believe we will feel it, all of it, when we go through that fire. Not under condemnation, because Christ has taken care of that. That's why I believe the tears are going to be wiped, and then there will be no more tears. But we're going to feel. Books are going to be open, and we're going to know that he knew. And I think it's going to crush us. I think it's going to crush us to, to know that, that we were, in fact, the individual that put Christ on that cross from those acts and those, those works. Um, do you believe that what you believe is really real? If this is all true, like every last bit of it, man is not the scariest scenario for man. I know that's going to sound horrible too. That might get me in an email. That's okay. Man is not our biggest problem. God is. He 
answer is, if the answer is yes, then our lives will be dictated by, navigated by, motivated by an obedience and allegiance to him, even when it makes no sense to us or the world around us, because he is real and he is supreme. This is a good fear because it propels us and others into life, into that which is really real. So like if you haven't noticed by now uh, with this text, uh, here, here, here it is with the fears. The primary fundamental difference between what makes these fears a bad fear or a good fear is that a bad fear will paralyze us from the things of God. A good fear will propel us into the things of God. That's the difference with these, if you're, if you're noticing this. One of them paralyzes us from the things of God. One of them propels us into the things of God. That's the difference. A bad fear will immobilize us. A good fear will mobilize us. Mobilize us. That's it. That's the lesson from Jesus today. You cannot serve two masters. You know what I'm saying? Like they have opposing goals. Like one, one of them's got to hamstring the other. Look, I've tried to do that. I've tried to master this in my Christian walk. I've tried walking the fence where it's like, I'm going to go ahead and please God, but I'm also going to please man. Like I've tried to, to make this uh, a practice. And all I've ever done walking that fence is fall with one leg over each side. And that is how painful it is every time. Every time. It, it cannot work. It does not work. It does not work that way. We can't, we can't serve. We must choose. Jesus is putting in front of them here, in front of us here, um, whether we like it or not, a reality that we must choose. Who shall we serve? Who shall we please? Who shall we live for? Even if your friends hate you after following him, even if your family hates you, even if your girlfriend breaks up with you, even if your friends pick up their ball and go home, even if you lose your job and lose your reputation and lose your social status and lose your paycheck and lose your life, choose this day whom you will serve and choose wisely because what you do with this will determine eternal, permanent Conscious reality forever matters significantly. Significantly, um, listen. I don't have to. I've come to the reality. Like I don't have to. I don't have to answer to any of these people. Any of you people when I die. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't even mean that. I don't mean that mean. But like the the, the people that I try so hard to impress, and I try to get inside with them. You know, and and, and maintain like a good reputation with these people and please them and make them happy and make them like me. Like, the reality is, I don't have to answer to any of them when I leave this tent. Not one of them. There is one. There is one that each of us must answer to when we leave this tent. And he's not playing games. And, and there's, one, there's one word, I know it. If I can even get it out, when it's like, what, what are you doing here? You know what I mean? It's like, G it's Jesus. Jesus. You know what I mean? Jesus. Jesus. The guy on the middle cross said I could be here. Like, that's it. That's all that any of us have at the end of the day is Christ. Nothing else. Any of those people that we've tried so hard to impress and so, so hard to please during this life will not even be a thought. Not even a he will be all-consuming on our minds. He will be the only one that we either have pleased or wished we had. It's him. 
Uh, yeah, some of you are like, yeah, we're not going to do this soon. Let's go 29 through 31. Let's, let's take this as a chunk, okay? Uh, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Here's the third fear not. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. Um, actually, I didn't want 32, just through 31. Um, this is actually a refreshing follow-up statement to the statement we just had. You know what I mean? Like, God can do this to you. What do you think of that? And then, and then, and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, hang on. Like, like gosh, how, how, important, how important are you to God? Like, significant, significantly, which is the third fear not statement. The reason is because you and I fear not because you and I are of extreme value, extreme significance to God. He cares about what we're going through, what's happening to us, and what people are doing, like he cares more than anybody about what's going on with us. This is the third reason why we do not need to fear anybody else. Um, think of the example that Jesus uses here to clar clarify our value, like he uses birds. Like in birds, I don't know about with you, but they seem like they're not like the sharpest creatures. Like sometimes I even wonder if they have, like their, their, their heads are so small, <laughs> you know? They're just so small. Um, they seem... Like, a lot of times, to be honest, insignificant to me. Like, there's so many of them. And they're just, um, and they're just randomly, like, doing whatever it is. I don't even know what they're doing. I can't make sense of it. So, I'll, I like, we have these big windows in the back of the house. And um, my, my wife has all these, like, um, bird houses up on the, uh, and bird feeders. And she's created a place for them to um, just swarm our house. Um, and we have a pond. And so they like to come down. And, and so I'll sit there and watch them. And they just seem so random. You know? Like none of it makes sense. Like these were one of those things that God just like spoke them into existence. Like wound up the clock. And then just let the clock run. Like, like that, they, that there's not really anything. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, there's so many of them. They, they fly all over and do these things. And yet... And yet, like, as random and insignificant as they seem, like, Jesus is saying they're not. They're not to God, right? They're not random to God. They're not arbitrary. They're not unnoticed. They're not of no concern to, to the Father. And again, I'm, I'm thinking, like, he's got so many things to worry about. How could he possibly care about what this bird right here <laughs> is doing? And he does. That's insane to think about. He does. How much more you and I? How much more does he care about? Is he mindful of? Is he loving towards you and I? It's a crazy thing to think about. Um, this is the reason I read Psalm 139 this morning when we opened. Uh, if you can read Psalm 139 and, like, not not get the sense that God cares about you, uh, then you don't have a pulse. Because that, that's exactly what it says. Like, it, it, it is, it, like he, he is so intimately involved. We are so, we are so deeply significant and valued, valuable to him. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, in my head, and, and, and the other guy loves to continually convince me that I'm not. You know what I mean? Um, you and I, the truth is, are the pinnacle. We're the crowning like achievement and jewel 
of God's creation. Right? This is really what David's talking about in Psalm 139. That's really what he's, what he's describing and letting us, letting us in on. And this is important for us to know because we have a lot of people killing themselves right now. And I'm talking like all walks of life. We have a lot of people calling it a day. You've got to wonder why. Like, why, why is this increasing, seemingly? Why is this a growing trend that suicides are through the roof? And I have my theories. Um, one of them is because people simply don't know this. They don't know what Jesus is telling his disciples here and telling you and I here. That you have meaning and you have worth in the eyes of the only one that matters. We are convinced that no one sees us, that we're insignificant, so we get depressed, right? And we desire things. And we want to be happy. And the world tells us, tells us, the answer is to look in. You just need to go deeper. Discover what your real desires are. Discover what it is that makes you happy. And then chase that. And what happens is when we do that, we find nothing. There's nothing there. So we, we, go, we go deeper and deeper and deeper inside. We're looking for the solution inside the place that's the problem. And we're wondering why we come up empty-handed. And what the Bible tells us is to look up and to look out because there is someone who significantly loves you. Oh, and by the way, he's the one that made you. Like, like, like he's the reason you're here. And, 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 he, and, he, and he sees you. He sees you. He knows you. He knows your challenges. He knows the things that you question. He knows your hurts. He knows where you think you lack. And he can supply for every single one of those deficits in you. That's, that's God. He is the one that this world needs more than it. He is the answer. Pure and simple. But the world is going to continue to tell us more and more as the days go, grow colder and darker. Look inside. It's all about you. It's all about you. And you know what? Suicides are going to keep going through the road. You and I have this message. We need to tell people. Like, like this, 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 this message like has legs in the, in the day and age that we live in, in the time that we live in. That God cares more than anybody else possibly can. Possibly can. And we're hearing this. And again, this, this, is, this is a fascinating thing for us to to just park on for a second, considering the verse that just preceded it. Because it's real easy for us to read a verse like that and be like, oh, God's just this, you know, tyrant and don't cross him. You know what I mean? And, and, and then Jesus comes with this. You know what I mean? Like, this is a reason to not be afraid. This is a reason to go through life well to the glory of God because God loves you greatly. He cares greatly. Um, where are we? Tim Keller said, what greater value could you possibly have than to be delighted in and sacrificed for by the maker of the universe? That's heavy. Let me read that again. What greater value could you possibly have than to be delighted in and sacrificed for by the maker of the universe? Take that home. 
stick that in your pipe. That's, that's something to sit on right there, right? Do you know this? Do you believe this? Do not fear, right? This is the third and final uh, fear not given to us by Jesus, and, and it's a heck of a reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, like, it's, it's huge. So let me reiterate real quick the, the, the do not fears, the reasons why not to fear, and then the reason to fear. Number one, do not fear because nobody's going to get away with anything that they do to you. Nobody's going to get away with it. Number two, do not fear because the worst thing they can do is take your tent, not your life. Okay? And number three, do not fear because your father cares greatly for you. And then the fear is um, fear him because he holds life. He holds life. So let's go ahead and close out this text with the, the, the verse you've all been waiting for, the two verses you've all been waiting for. Um, what does it mean? 32 and 33, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will. Uh, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Uh, I've never gotten warm, fuzzy feeling uh, reading this. Uh, the thought's always been like, is this me? What have I done? Um, because I was always kind of taught and even thought the way that it's read like this, this is talking to cowards, right? I don't know if you were, you were taught that um, or whatever, like, like don't be a coward. Don't be an evangelistic coward. You know what I mean? Like, don't ever have anyone ask you for the reason or the hope that lies within you, and then you just shut down and be like, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, for some reason, like, I thought that's what this was, okay? It's just like being a coward. I, I do not uh, believe that that's what this means, is uh, just an evangelistic failure. Um, um, one of the reasons I do not think this is a moment of cowardice, um, well, is for one, one word alone, um, Peter. Peter, um, which, by the way, when Peter did what he did, it was after he sat and heard this, right? Uh, and so the Peter one's kind of interesting as far as that, that denial that went on uh, because he even had a handicap, right? Like Jesus came to him and was like, uh, here's what you're going to do, right? And Peter's like, what, what do you think, I'm stupid? Like, especially now that you just told me that that's what I'm going to do, I'm going to make sure I don't do it, right? And then... What does he do? He goes on, he denies Jesus uh, three times. In fact, one of the accounts says that he even, like, curses the name of Jesus. Like, harshly. Right? He goes and he denies Christ. And, and, and besides the fact that Jesus goes, or that Peter goes on to be, like, a pillar of the church and write scripture, and you know what I mean? He's one of the apostles and all that. So, obviously, he was a follower of Jesus and he didn't get cut off. But there's this really interesting thing that happens right after the, the third denial where he walks away from, like, the fire barrel and he starts weeping heavily. And it's like, why? Like, like, like why is he weeping so heavily? And I believe that it is because he could not believe that he did what he did because he believed. Does <laughs> that make sense? He believed. I, I, I don't think what Jesus is talking about here is that you can be in a room of people, of non-believers, and they look over at you and they go, why? You, you believe in Jesus, don't you? And you're like, no. You know, like, that's not what we're talking about here. We'd all probably lose our salvation if it, if it really was about cowardice, right? So, so what is this that we're talking about? Um, let me find my place.
I, I, I really believe, put simply, that this is a full denial, a full denial of the gospel. This is a redemptive denial. This is not a temporary denial. This is a full denial, a salvific denial of the soul when, when faced uh, with it by man and before man. So that's really what's going on, is the gospel is given where? On earth, in a room like this, before men, by men. And so the acceptance or the rejection happens before men. I don't think it even means that, like, uh, like, like you'll be cut off because, like, you didn't get out of your chair and come forward and pray the sinner's prayer. No, like, like when, G- when, when Jesus sa- saves somebody, when the gospel saves somebody, the Holy Spirit goes to their chair. <laughs> like, goes to their chair where they're sitting and does business inside of that person. But the result of that, all of that is worked out on earth among men. That's it. I, I just think it's a, a complete redemptive um, denial that Jesus is, is talking about here. Um, and this goes on every Sunday, just, just like days like this. And so the question is, like, what have you done or what will you do with the proclaimed Christ for you? That, that's, really, that's really the question, right? Um, and even though, like, I feel solidified there, like, like I said earlier, every time I hear the gospel, I'm faced again. Uh, I feel like I've been saved um, thousands of times, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I, I love to hear the gospel and then have it do that thing in me. Just reinforce that thing in me um, that, that I believe that I have um, so that I know that I have it, so that I know that it's something that has been gifted um, to me. Um, and the question is, what will you do with it? Um, will you reject that or will you receive that? Will you deny him or will you accept him? That's the question. And, and so we're kind of like here where we began, right? Um, like, who, who, who do you fear the most? is really the question. Who, who do you fear the most? The lesson from the teacher is not about if you fear or not, it's about who you fear the most. And the bottom line is that those who are being saved at the end of the day fear God the most. Not because we decide to, but because at the end of the day we have been gifted with a knowledge, a faith that assures us that we really believe that what we believe is really real. Right? Jesus is our only hope. I know that at the end of the day. Jesus is my only hope. If I can be cut off, if I can do something to forfeit my salvation and turn in my salvation card, I'll do it, people. You know what I mean? This thing hinges on him. So the question is, are you on team Jesus or are you not? That's what this is about, and that's what Christ is saying. Are you on his team or are you? Because there's not a third category. I know we all like to play with this. Like, there's, there's, those are on Satan's team, and those are on Jesus' team, and then there's kind of the, the unaffiliated, right? Uh, no, that's not biblical. There's sheep. There's goats. You're either for him or you're against him. That's it. You're for him or you're against him, and this is what is being put before us here by Christ. And so don't deny If the gospel is talking to you, today's the day of salvation. Right? You have a father who loves you significantly, and he has proven that. He has shown you that by what happened 2,000 years ago at Calvary. He's already shown us how much he loves us by what he did there with his only begotten son for you, if you believe it's really real. Uh, we're going to do communion now, and this is for those who believe that Christ is their only hope, that that is really real.
that he is the only way to the Father, and he's the only name, he's the only password that we're going to be able to speak to get in. It's Jesus. It's Christ. And because of the work that he did, that he performed, the, the pain and the suffering that he endured from man on our behalf, that is the only reason why you and I are able to, are going to be able to stand before the face of the Almighty God. It's because of the righteousness of Christ given to us, imputed upon us. Nothing else. You can't add nothing to perfection. That's it. All you can do is fall on it and receive it. All right? If that's you, if that's your only hope, you believe this, come to the table. Lord, thank you so much once more for your word, which shoots straight shots. <laughs> I thank you that you speak clearly and plainly that we don't have to sit around and guess. Um, but all we have to do is receive and believe. And I thank you, God, for my faith. I thank you, Lord, for gifting me with a righteousness that is not my own. I thank you that there was a point where you caused me to look up and to look outside of myself after so many years of thinking I was the answer. I thank you that you are the answer and that you're gracious to let people um, know, come to the conclusion of that answer, to know you, to walk with you, to be loved by you, to be taught by you. So we just, we just, again, all credit is due to you. There's, there's, there's no one else who gets it. We, we think about that right now as we come to this table. We think of you, your body broken, your blood shed.